But this has been on my heart for quite a while. And, uh, you know, when we go through 2 Kings and we're seeing evil king, evil king, evil king, evil king, evil king. Once in a while, a guy who's not such an evil king and then more evil kings, more evil kings. And after a while, it's like, really? But they're, yeah, and I love it. It's all in there for a reason. And I, I'm, you know, Manasseh, what a picture of God's grace last week. Amen. That guy doesn't, you don't get any more evil than that guy. And then you get to Chronicles and God, you know, redeems him. So praise God for that. Amen. But I want us to look at, in light of all of that, how do we live a life that pleases God? Now, certainly we're saved by grace, right? And it's, you know, and, and it's by faith. It's not of works as any man should boast. But don't we want to live lives that honor the Lord? Amen? Don't we want to live a life that pleases God? I mean, he, he's already our father. He's adopted us into his family. If you've truly been born again, he will never leave you nor forsake you. But guys, we don't want to have saved souls and wasted lives. We want to live lives that glorify and honor our heavenly father. And by the way, when we do that, we're blessed. Amen. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And I just love that. And so tonight we're going to look from Matthew chapter five. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter five. And we are picking up right in the middle of what is called the, which I believe is the greatest sermon in the Bible because Jesus preached it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus has this crowd of people who've gathered together. And if, if, you, if we ever get to go back to Israel, I will teach this text. I will teach this chapter on the, on the mount where Jesus preached it. And as they gathered together, Jesus gets up and begins to teach them. And so just a way, way of quick background, then we'll take a look at the outline. As we're going to look at the greatest sermon ever preached, again, the the Sermon on the Mount. And what I love about it is there are three things that we should be mindful of that Jesus is communicating with the early disciples and are just as applicable to the things that he teaches us. The things he taught them 2,000 years ago are just as applicable to us today. First of all, Jesus makes it clear that they didn't have a proper understanding of God's word. And that's an epidemic today within the church. There are people that don't read their Bible and call themselves Christians. Some of the studies I've seen are old, but something like 80% of people that call themselves Christians say they don't even read the Bible in an average week. And guys, to know him is to love him. Amen? And if you want to know him better, spend time in his word. But Jesus is going to make cases that they'd allow their opinions and religious leaders to usurp the simple truth found in God's word. You had a bunch of religious guys wearing black robes who were changing the rules. There are a lot of churches today doing the same thing. It's not about Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. In their case, and often in ours today, it's due to biblical ignorance. You know why people, I watched a church online this past week and it was painful. I was watching it and it was just so painful. And it broke my heart because I thought the guy who's teaching needs to be discipled and the people who are listening need to be taught the Bible. And these people got up and went to church and listened to 20 minutes of Chuck E. Cheese. You're talking about Chuck E. Cheese for 20 minutes. It took them 28 minutes to quote a Bible verse. That's scary to me. Can I get an amen? But we have biblical literacy running rapid in the church today. And Jesus is going to address that in, in tonight's text. He's he's going to give a clear interpretation of the truth of God's word, and he's going to dispel false and incomplete teaching. He does it did it then, and he does it now. Jesus also gives us instruction on how we can honor and represent the Lord more fully. We are Christians, which means followers of Christ. But if you get technical, it actually means little Christ. So we're not Christ. We're not God. But the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, 
and we represent him to a lost and a dying world, and we are called to know him and to make him known. Unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll by, by no means enter the kingdom of God. He said that in Matthew 5.20. So as you continue to take a deep look at the Sermon on the Mount, we must be prepared to have our false or incomplete understandings of biblical truth challenged and corrected, to come away with a greater understanding of what it means to live a holy and set-apart life, and be reminded of our complete inability to save ourselves. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't earn heaven. Again, it's all about grace. So if you have your outline, grab it. Let's go through it quickly, and we're going to dig into the text. And so I titled the message... A heart that pleases our Heavenly Father. I want to have a heart that pleases our Heavenly Father. How about you? I want to live a life that brings glory and honor to His name. I want, you know what? I'm probably like most men and young women. I wanted to make my father proud. How about you? There's nothing I love more than my dad would say, I'm proud of you. And I'm very quick to tell my boys when I'm, and my daughter when I'm proud of them. Even my son-in-law, I'm proud of you. You know, when that comes from your dad, it means a lot. Every time I do it, my boys, even to this day, I just told my, one of my sons on the way here, he said, Dad, every time you say that, it just, it just, it just really, you know, ministers to my heart. Well, I want my, I want my earthly dad to be proud of me, but more than that, I want my heavenly father to be proud of me. Can I get an amen to that? To be blessed by me. You know, not, not that I've done anything, you know, it's only because of him that I can do anything, but I still want to be faithful to what he's called me to do. So first, we're going to see a love that pleases God. It's a selfless love that blesses, serves, and prays for friends and enemies alike, and it's a love that esteems other greaters than, others greater than ourselves. So we see that there, there is a, a, a description of what love looks like in the life of the believer and how we should love others in a way that pleases God. Number two, giving that pleases God. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, you know that we do not emphasize uh, giving. We don't even pass an offering because my heart has always been, it will always be, even when our church in Santa Cruz got very large, we never passed an offering. And the reason we never did is I don't want people to tip God. Amen. Oh, it's coming to buy. It won't look like a heathen. Let me throw something in there. I want, it, the Bible says you purpose in your heart beforehand. But we're going to see giving that pleases God. It's done in secret. It's motivated by what the heart seeks to minister to others and to glorify God. And then finally, this is what's really been on my heart, at least for me this year, prayer that pleases God. How many of you besides me need to pray more? Okay. Pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. And it's not just praying more, but it's praying properly. And, I, and again, it's not a formula or anything like that. And that's, the, matter of fact, the formulas are part of the problem. And Jesus is going to address that in tonight's text. But we're going to see that there's a way that we should pray. And we'll learn that tonight. We'll see examples of the wrong kinds of prayer. Jesus is going to say people that pray with improper motives, people pray with vain repetition, or people that try to change God's mind. God does not need to change his mind. You need to change yours. I need to change mine. Amen? We don't pray to change God's mind. We pray to change our hearts. And then we're going to see, and I hope this will help you, the model prayer. And there's eight words that start with a P that we see in the model prayer. People call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, you find that in John 17. But we call it the Lord's Prayer. And because the, the Lord doesn't have to pray, forgive us our trespasses, because he didn't have any trespasses. Can I get an amen to that? So it's a, pr a model prayer. But he says right before, don't pray with vain repetition. So what do people do? They pray the model prayer with vain repetition. <laughs> right after it's in the Bible, not to pray with vain repetition. But we're going to see some things in this prayer that I think will help us. 
First of all, the person that we're praying to. Do you know that if you don't have it right, the person you're praying to, the rest of this, everything you pray is a waste of time. You might as well be yelling down a well. Can I get an amen to that? If you're praying to Muhammad, forget about it. Amen? If you're praying to anything else, I have friends that, uh, my coworkers, oh, good vibes, bro, good vibes. What? That means absolute vibes for, what are you talking about? Guys, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? And we need to address God when we pray. In the model prayer, what's the first thing? Our Father which art in heaven, amen? So that's who we pray to, so the person we pray to. And then praise. As we pray, you'll hear me do it a lot, virtually every time I pray. Because you know what? We begin our prayer reckon, addressing who we're praying to, but then we praise him because he is worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. Amen? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed, holy be thy name. Right? He's lifting up the name of the Lord. You know, when you know who you're praying to and when you praise him for who he is, it makes all the things you pray about seem doable. Can I get an amen to that? Because you recognize how great our God is, then it helps us in our prayer life. Uh, providence, which means the sovereignty of God. We're praying knowing that God is in control. God knows what he's doing and we have to trust him. Provision, give us this day our daily bread. When was the last time you really thanked God for the fact that you... Now, again, we have this habit of praying over our meals, but sometimes I think we just do it. It's almost, it almost can, be, can become rote tradition, Amen. But you know how blessed we are that God provides food for us? Amen? And we, we thank him for his provision. We have a home to live in. Uh, perfection, forgive us our trespasses. Amen? So we pray about our sin. Lord, forgive us. We bring confession. We pray for protection. Watch over us, Lord. Amen? We pray, uh, we bring petitions. This is where we intercede on behalf of other people. And then finally, we do it with persistence. So person, praise, providence, provision, perfection, protection, petition, persistence. So let's begin there looking at the love, a heart that pleases our heavenly father. We're going to begin there in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 5, looking at a love that pleases God. And as you've heard me say, the one of the things that's been on my heart a lot is holiness for me, grace for everyone else. And I want to live a life that pleases God. Let's pray before we dig in. Heavenly Father, I do pray as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. Lord, we want to live lives that are pleasing and honoring unto you. Lord, if we honor you, we'll be better husbands, better wives, better parents, better uh, citizens, better workers. So Lord, help us. We can't do this without you. Be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says there in verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's what the world does, isn't it? Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Love your neighbor is established in the law of Moses. It says in Leviticus 18, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we know to love our neighbor, but you know the world loves the people that love them back. And so when we love people that love us, when we love people that are lovable, we're just doing the same thing that the world does. But the Lord is telling them that you've heard to hate your enemy. It's how the scribes and Pharisees explained and carried out the Old Testament command. Once again, these men have completely missed the heart of God. They were not seeking his heart, but legalism and a license to justify sin. So they loved people that loved them and they hated people that were contrary to them. They hated their enemies. We have things all throughout scripture, we'll touch on those. 
the Jews corrupted, these early, these early Jewish leaders corrupted the scripture by adding their own slant to it. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to hate your enemy. Nowhere. As we saw just there, it says to love your enemy. Jesus' explanation and application was exactly the opposite, resulting in a much higher standard. Look what he says here. So you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now that's really easy, isn't it? He's telling us, once again, he overrules the fault. But I say, you've heard it taught. You've heard it taught, hate your enemy. Love your, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. You've heard it taught. Let me tell you, let me correct that. That's what Jesus is saying. And keep in mind, these were the religious leaders that taught it. And just because somebody's got a black robe on or is standing behind a pulpit and is teaching it doesn't mean it's from the Lord. That's why we want the word of God open to make sure it's what God said and not what men think. Amen. And so he's exhorting them. He overrules the false teaching they had received from these religious leaders. But I say to you, love your enemy. This is a very practical verse. If you have someone in your life that you're having a hard time with, Jesus gives you an agenda to follow in your relationship with them. Love them, bless them with your words, do good things to them, and pray for them. So the next time you're mad at somebody, remember these words, love them, bless them, do good things to them, and pray for them. Here's what I found when I pray for people that get on my nerves, what happens is I start to love them. Amen? You know, the more you pray for somebody, the more you're going to love them. And you know what? The more you love somebody, the more you pray for them. Who do I pray for the most? My children and my wife and my grandchildren. I pray for all of you throughout every week, but I pray for them the most. Why? Because I love them the most. Amen? Amen. But at the same time, I need to pray for the difficult boss at work or the difficult client or the obnoxious neighbor. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. And we need to pray for them. Amen? You might be the only person on the planet praying for them. And we should be different. The Bible says you don't overcome evil with evil. You overcome evil with good. The Bible tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. We should be seeking to turn our enemies into our friends. This is an old Davism I haven't said in a long time. Don't fight back, love back. Amen? Don't fight back, love back. Hey, look, you know, I love Liam Neeson getting some vengeance for his daughter like the rest of you. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but that's not how Christians respond. Now, if someone takes my daughter, I'm probably going to prison. But the point I'm making is, the point I'm making is though that God has called us to love back. And it's amazing when you love back the unlovable, how it melts their hearts and how God will use it for his glory. Not only should we not retaliate, but we should love, bless, pray, and do good to those who hate you and curse you and persecute you. The Bible says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. One of my favorite illustrations, a dear friend of mine, Rick Franks. We were on staff together in San Jose along with Rob McCoy and many others. And Rick ended up going to Mountain View and planning a church. But he worked with alongside me. And we had a lady in the office who literally was the most obnoxious, nauseating person I've ever met in my life. We had 200 people in the building and everyone hated her. She was arrogant. 
She was self-righteous. She was condescending. She was full of herself. And the people that she got on the nerves the most is anybody who is selling more than her. Because certainly we couldn't be doing a better job than her. So she would tear everybody's character down. She would talk trash about everybody. And I used to pray for her husband every night. Amen. (laughs) Oh, Lord, whoever's married to this woman, God bless him. But she was so difficult and Rick was a guy who was one of our top salespeople as well. And she was really obnoxious and saying that he was stealing from our customers. And here's this guy, he's a pastor, one of the most genuine guys I've ever met. And so here's what Rick did. And it just blew everybody away. And it absolutely changed this woman's life. Rick got a promotion to the job that I have. And to get that job, you have to take a test. And Linda was going to do that. Well, no one knows her last name. So Linda, (laughs) Linda was testing for the same job and Rick had just passed it. And she was just talking trash about him all the time. So he goes by her cubicle one day and says, hey, I hear you're going to test for that test. I just took it last week. I'd be more than happy to spend the next couple lunches helping you prepare. Would you like for me to do that? And this woman that was always so bitter and just so vile said, you would do that for me? He goes, I'd love to do that for you. And so he sat down with her during lunch all week, helped prep her for the test. And then on Friday, he said, would it be okay if I pray for you for the test that God will bless you and help you remember everything you've studied? And he prayed for her. She took the test on Monday. She passed it and she came back. And it was amazing to see. Now, she didn't come all the way back, but... (laughs) But you couldn't say anything bad about Rick Franks ever again. And she ended up coming to the Bible study we had at work because Rick Franks was in there with us. And God used it to transform this woman's life. And the point is that as believers, we should be different than the world. Because what would the world say? Oh, she fails that test. She's vile and wicked anyway. She doesn't deserve it. Someone else in the office should get that job. And Rick, man, God bless him. And I said, Rick, I am... I'm blown away by you, bro. That was so awesome. And he said, bro, what would Jesus do? How would Jesus do it? Guys, so when you see people in your life, and a lot of times we don't know what's, why they're hurting. We don't know why they act that way. And we know if they don't know the Lord, they don't have the Holy Spirit. So what needs to happen is they need to be born again. Amen? And we need to love people in a supernatural way, a love that pleases God. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest walked by. Man was in a ditch. Priest walked by. I'm busy about God's work. Got no time for you. The Levite walked by. Busy about God's work. I ain't got no time for you. Then the Samaritan. Remember, Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile. The Jews called them Gentile dogs. And they so despised the Samaritans that if they were, they, instead of walking through Samaria, they would take an extra day to walk around Samaria just so their sandals didn't touch Samaritan ground. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. And then when Jesus gives the parable, he talks about, what's a neighbor? Let's talk about a neighbor. Let's define a neighbor. Who's the neighbor? Is it the one who walked by and ignored him? Was it the priest or the Levite? It was a Samaritan who not only stopped, but he made sure the guy was mended. Then he took him to a place where he was cared for. Then he paid his bill and left more money. And then on his way back, he went in and checked on him. Guys, that's how we ought to be as believers. Amen. And I want you to notice, we should never be so busy about doing God's work, like the priest and the Levite, that we leave the guy in the ditch. Amen? That when we're walking, well, I'm busy about God's work, I have no time to minister to that person right now. 
The apostle Paul was on the way to Jerusalem in in Acts chapter 20. His face was set like flint, and he stopped all along the way to many divine appointments. We should never be too busy for the individual just because we think we've got to minister to the crowd. Can I get an amen to that? So I love this picture, the love that pleases God. Which one of these men was his neighbor? It was the man who stopped and mended his wounds and cared for him and transported him into a place of safety. The one who was willing to be inconvenienced, to esteem others greater than himself. See, it all comes back to heart and motive. Can I encourage you? Pray. Tomorrow morning before your feet hit the ground, Lord, use me today. Lord, bring me a divine appointment. Lord, if someone needs a hug, use my arms. If someone needs a word of encouragement, use my mouth. If someone needs to be blessed, take the money out of my wallet that belongs to you and let me give it to them. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last and nothing else is going to matter. And he's exhorting and encouraging them. Notice what it says in verse 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You know, God does good things for bad people. Amen? God blesses the just and the unjust. Says he allows the sunshine to rain on both. He lets the rain pour down on both. Now again, we want to see those people saved. And that's God's ultimate desire. But notice that for God so loved the world. Amen? Contrary to what some people with a certain slant theologically might teach you, that doesn't mean the world or the elect. It means the world. And that means everybody on the planet. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. So if God so loved the world and we want to please God, we need to love the world. Amen? I want to encourage us, and we're, I think we're doing a good job of this, because when people visit the church, I'll get texts, I'll get emails, uh, they'll, they'll call me, and they'll tell me, that's one of the most loving churches I've ever been to. People are just so kind and so outgoing. May we never stop that, amen? Be looking around for the new, it's hard being the new person. Go look for him. Go love on him. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. And then it's broken down into joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Help us, to, help us to reflect our Savior. You know what? We should live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. They want to know the Jesus we serve because they see Jesus in us. And Planet Sharon, I remember that when Rob and I were youth pastors in San Jose, we used to do a thing called Youth Group on the Green during the summer. And we'd bring a, bring a different Christian band every Wednesday night, and we'd meet out in this quad outside, and we'd have the music cranked, and we'd go into the, le- the local neighborhoods, and all these teenagers would show up. And one, Sunday, one Wednesday night, this girl was riding by on her bike, and she heard the music, and she pulled around, and she because she heard the music and she just set her bike down and was sitting out on the edge of the grass. And I noticed her and I looked and all of a sudden seven or eight of the girls from our youth group were over there talking to her. Before you know it, they're loving on her. Before you know it, they're bringing her over and making sure she gets a plate of food. Then they go find her a Bible. And then she said, and she tells me later, she said, Pastor Dave, I was riding by on my bike to commit suicide. I had razor blades in my backpack and I was going to go slit my wrists. She said, I I was done. And she said, then we got here and all these people loved on me. They all hugged me. They told me they loved me. They told me I was glad, they were glad I was there. They didn't care about what I was going. They just were kind and loving. And she said, then you and Pastor Rob came up and hugged me and loved on me. And then you opened up the Bible and talked about God being a God of love. And I knew it was true because I saw it in the youth group. Amen? See, it's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to live it. 
And if we live it out loud, people are going to, when you tell them that they, oh, yeah, I, I love you, the Lord loves you, they're going to say, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it in you. And it's much harder to win people to Christ when we don't represent him well. Look what it says here, verse 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you, more do you do than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Here's what he's saying. If you love the people that love you, if you love the lovable, now the tax collectors do it. Now keep in mind, tax collector was not a good thing. That, some things never change, amen? The tax collector... <laughs> In those days, the Jewish tax collectors, here's the problem. They were, they were Jewish people who were seen as traitors because they were doing the Romans' bidding. And they would go and take money. And, give, and so the Jewish people hated tax collectors. And then that's why one of, the, one, of the, one of the apostles is a tax collector. Who is it? The book we're reading out of, amen? And he's writing down, even the tax collectors, <laughs> even people like me. They, if, the ta- if, you're doing, if you're loving the lovable, the world does that. If you're, if you're responding in kind to people that are kind to you, the world does that. What have you done if you just love the people that love you back? If you love only those who love us back, we duplicate the behavior of the most reviled of men and tax collectors. We should expect our character to be different than the lost and spiritually dead world that we live in. The world is not our standard, Jesus is. We don't compare ourselves with other men. I'm more loving than other people. Are you as loving as Jesus? If you're not, you need to be more loving. Can I get an amen to that? So that's something we're always going to need to grow in. We need to grow in our love for one another. You know, I have a six-word philosophy of ministry. It's in the bulletin. What, did anybody know what it is? Six words. What is it? What is it? Preach the word, love the people. There it is. People say, what's your philosophy of ministry? Preach the word, love the people. Teach the whole counsel of God. Don't water it down. Teach it with boldness. Teach it in truth and love the people. So I want to have the best fed and most loved people. Amen? So that should be our heart is to love people. The world is not our standard. Jesus is. We're filled with his Holy Spirit. We have an eternal perspective. We're not alone as we walk through this life. We have a future and a hope and we should love others the way that Christ loves us. We need to be reminded daily how much Christ loves us. Amen? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows you best, he loves you most, and he died for you. Then he says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, Jesus is telling us that we need to keep aiming for perfection. We're not perfect apart from him. We can't be holy apart from him, even though he says, be holy for I am holy, and he tells us to, but our, our desire should be, again, holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Our desire should be to live a holy and a set-apart life. And we don't want to live holy to be self-righteous. We don't want to live a holy life so we think we're better than other people. We want a desire to live a holy life because God has called us to live a holy life and because he knows what's best for us. Amen? Again, you've heard it said from, from this pulpit, that God's word and his commands are not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. They're a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. God doesn't give you his word to keep you from fun, but to keep you from harm. Amen? And so we want to obey God. We want a passion to obey God. 
He's given us instruction on how we honor and represent him fully to the world. And Jesus has also made it clear that we are unable through our own efforts to be made perfect. This calling to perfection can only come through a life fully surrendered to the Lord. God cannot lower his standard for perfection. Jesus met the standard for us and praise God. So a heart that pleases our heavenly father, first of all, it's a love that pleases God. A love that pleases God. And what kind of love is that? It's a selfless love that blesses, serves, and ministers to friends and enemies alike. Point number two, giving that pleases God. Verse, chapter six, verse one. Take heed that you do your charitable deeds. You do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have your reward from your father in heaven. Once again, we see that Almighty God sees not only our outward actions, but the inward attitude and our motivation for our actions. See, some people will only give if they can get credit for it. You'll see people do this. They'll give a bunch of money, and then they'll take out a full page, their publicist will take out a full page ad in the LA Times saying that this celebrity just donated a million dollars to this charity. And they're doing that because they don't just want to give. They, they want all the attaboys and the, the pats on the back. And, and their motivation is to make themselves be esteemed and have all these people tell them how amazing that they are. We may fool men with our insincere or selfishly motivated actions, but God is never fooled by such behavior. While man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. The word charitable deeds there literally means righteousness. Jesus tells us not to do righteous things, giving, serving, showing compassion, proclaiming the truth to be seen by men. You'll find out if somebody really wants to serve. So here's what happens, especially like in Santa Cruz as our church got larger, and even it can happen here, people want to serve, but they want to serve in a position that everybody sees. I remember in Santa Cruz, I had this young man come up to me and he was like, well, I had this dream and God told me I'm supposed to come to your church and you and I are supposed to be co-pastors here. And I'm like, yeah, um, you want to serve here? We have guys show up at 5 a.m. to set up all the chairs and to set up service. Get here at 5 a.m. It takes about four hours. You'll have time to go shower and come back. Oh, I'm not called to that. Oh, so you're not called to be a servant. Well, you're not called to teach then either. Amen. 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 You need to have the heart of a servant. Have the people that don't want to, if you don't want to serve, you're not called. Amen. Amen? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant, servant of all. And, a, and pastor means servant. So pastor should be the biggest, the pastors here are some of the biggest servants in the building. We all should be. Amen. And, and so that's the attitude. That's the heart. And not someone who gives so that they can be seen by others. So they can get attaboys and get, you know, I want to serve God, but only if everybody notices. Some people have served God, and they're mad that nobody noticed. I got there first. I stayed there last. I spent the most time. I'm exhausted, and I didn't have anybody tell me how amazing I was. Not one person. And we get upset. You know how you're a servant? You know how you have a heart of a servant? You ready? I'll tell you how you know you have a heart of a servant. By how you respond when someone treats you like one. Amen? They treat you like a servant, and you just serve anyway. Because if you're doing it for the Lord, it's a get to. It's not a have to. Amen? And to God be all the glory. It's born again Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit 
Such good works should be evident in all of our lives, but the motivation must always be for God's glory and to minister to others, not for personal praise or recognition. Such a desire for recognition is motivated by the flesh. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 16, just previous chapter, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and put up a plaque in your name. Is that what it says? <laughs> that they say your good works and, and, you know, and take out a full page ad in the LA Times. No, that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen? See, if we're doing it for the Lord, then he gets the glory, we don't. Amen? This church is filled with people like that. There are so many of you that serve in such, and you'll serve in faithful ways, spiritually, you'll pray with people, or you'll serve in practical ways. You go to somebody's house that needs help and you help them. Nobody else knows about it. You're doing it for the Lord and you count it a privilege. And that's, that's a reflection of what's going on in your heart. And God bless you. The truth is that we all love in our, we all love in our flesh to be recognized, praised, and patted on the back for the good things we do. We like it. Our flesh loves it. When people tell us, how good we are. Most of us get our feelings hurt again when good deeds go unnoticed. We feel even worse if someone else gets the credit. Why are they praising them? I got it before them. Why is that, you know, it ain't about you. It's not about you. We all struggle in varying degrees of self-centeredness. Can I get an amen to that? We all struggle with self-centeredness to some degree. I told you the three people I think about the most are me, myself, and I. Can I get an amen? It's just true. You think about yourself the most. How does it impact me? What am I going to do today? We all struggle and a desire to be praised and noticed. And boy, is that not true on social media? <laughs> Amen? Take 300 pictures of yourself in one day. I said, some people have taken more pictures of their kids than the number of times my dad looked at me in my lifetime. Amen? <laughs> Just taking pictures. It's like, Lord, help. Now, notice what it says here at the end of that verse. It says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus makes it clear, if your righteous deed were drawn, done for the praise and applause of men, you'd better enjoy it because that's where the reward ends. Amen? So if you do it to get, oh, you're amazing. Okay, I hope you enjoyed the clapping because you're never going to get any rewards from the Lord for it. He's not going to say anything about it when you get to heaven and he's blessing those who served him. It's much better to receive an eternal heavenly reward from God than a temporal one from men. Amen? Truly righteous deeds will glorify God, should never draw attention to ourselves. We're but tools in the hands of the master. I don't have time to go through it, but you hear my, you know, my, my drill analogy, the dentist, right, holding the drill. And the dentist, you know, praise God, had emergency root canal he, in, up in Santa Cruz on Thanksgiving Day, and he got the, the pain was just, I would have given him my car. You know, it was so much pain. And when he drilled it out, can you imagine if I took the drill and said, oh, thank you, drill, you're amazing. That would have been stupid. Because that drill, without it being in the hands of the master, will do more damage than good. Amen? And guys, we're just drills in the hands of the master. We don't do any good if, without the guiding of his hand and his Holy Spirit. Amen? So God gets the glory. The dentist, not the drill. Then he says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They make glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Now, when they would give in those days, they had these brass trumpets that would be in the front of the synagogue and they would go in and put their offering in. And so the more you put in, the louder the noise would be. 
often they would go and take their coins to get the smallest denomination of coins so they could drop in 500 pennies instead of five $1 coins and just... And the trumpet's making all this noise. Oh, look at that guy. Look how much he gave. And we know that the Lord speaks of this when he talks about the widow's might. You know, they're all shaking this stuff, making the trumpet blow, and a widow walks up and drops in the equivalent of less than a penny. And Jesus said she gave more than them all because she gave out of her lack and they gave out of their abundance. Amen? And she didn't give to be noticed by men, but that's often what people do. They give and they want to be noticed by men. Some of you probably heard this story early on in the, in the beginning of Calvary Chapel. Uh, as a, you know, they were looking for a building, they were meeting in a tent, all these things were going on. A guy showed up and gave Pastor Chuck a check for many, many millions of dollars and said, here you go. That'll pay for the whole building. That'll take care of everything. This guy was a very wealthy guy who owned a bunch of car dealerships and, and he probably gave with, and Pastor Chuck prayed about it and gave him the money back. He said, I don't want people to think you built the church. I want them to know God did. And guess what? The Calvary Chapel movement exploded. Amen. I'm not even saying that man had the wrong heart, but Pastor Chuck said, I just don't want, I want God alone to get the glory. Again, people would try to draw attention to themselves. The Pharisees often did the same with prayer. You know, they had hours of prayer and they would make sure, oh, it's, I'm five minutes from the hour of prayer. I better get out into a crowded street so everybody can see me. And they would walk around and then stop in the middle of the street and start praying. And everybody go, oh, look how righteous that guy is. Oh, look how holy he is. He prays in the middle of the street. He's drawing everyone's attention. They did it to impress men. They would purposely time their day's activities. So again, at the hour of prayer, they might have a large audience. Again, the only audience that really matters is the Lord. Amen. Today, people don't sound a trumpet. They hire a publicist. They put their name on a building or a plaque or a pew. The world is lost. It shouldn't be surprised, but the church should be different. Notice he says in that verse, like the hypocrites, we've talked about this. The hypocrite is a mask wearer, somebody pretending to be something that they're not. And somebody who says one thing and lives another way. And it came from the dramas they would do in the theaters. They didn't have amplified, you know, they didn't have amplified sound. And so often what they would do is when somebody became sad in the play, they would hold up a big mask showing that they were sad. And they were called the hypocrite. So a hypocrite was somebody that was pretending to be something that they were not. And he called them hypocrites because they pretended to be godly when they were not. In this case, acting the part of a holy and selfless man or woman when they're not, they take what God has given them and then they draw attention to themselves as they give to another what was never theirs. I'll, again, this is past, this, I'll, I'll step over here. This is one of Pastor Dave's things that just aggravates me. It aggravates me when I see ministries with a guy's name on it. The worldwide ministry of and then their big name afterward. Um, I'm thinking you're nothing, God's everything. He gets the headline, not you. Can I get an amen to that? It's just nauseating. The worldwide ministry of, and my, my assistant pastors knew this. And one Sunday morning I came into church and they had the worldwide ministry of Dave Johnston on the screen. <laughs> and they did it before a lot of people were there yet. And I just, and I had eight pastors. I said, you're all fired. You're all fired. <laughs> they were laughing. I go, don't even joke about that. Amen. But it's not, the, it's not our world. It's a worldwide ministry of Jesus Christ. He, he, only he can save us, amen? Only he redeemed us. Only he created us. 
and only he should get all the glory. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. The word reward there is they've been paid in full. If they did it before men and they got the praise of men, paid in full, you're done. Verse three, but when you do a charitable deed, do not you let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret, secret will himself reward you openly. Our giving and righteous deeds are be done as if, if it were possible, even hidden from ourselves. While we can't really be ignorant to our own giving, we can deny ourselves from being puffed up and self-congratulatory. I still remember when my dad was a Baptist preacher years ago, uh, back when I was a kid in the 60s, we had this couple that came over to my, dad, my parents' house, and this guy pulled out this ledger because he wanted to make some requests for my dad about things he wanted to see different in the church. And this ledger had all the money he'd given to the church in the last 10 years, every week, how much it was, and then what the total was. And he circled it and handed it to my dad like, well, this is what I've given to the church. And so now I've got some, you know, demands. My dad said, if I had had it, I'd have written him a check to give it all back. Amen. First of all, you gave God his money back. And you kept 90% of his stuff. Can I get an amen to that? So let's talk about the 90% you kept, amen? But that's the point is that too often, we need to be in a place that even when we give, we don't congratulate ourselves for giving. We give from a heart that, Lord, it's all yours anyway. Lord, it all belongs to you. Testamency. Do it in secret. So instead of being praised, God is glorified. The motivated, motive of a spirit-filled believer is God being glorified. I've shared this before. Years ago, I told you that my, when my dad was a pastor, we, we were very, very poor. They, you know, the church that he worked for loved starving their pastors to see if they were really called. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible, by the way. But we would run out, we, we ate mac and cheese and beans every meal because it was cheap. We didn't know any different. We just thought everybody did that. So we had mac and cheese and beans. And then on Sunday, we got mac and cheese and beans and tuna fish. Got to have some protein at some point besides those beans. So, but what would happen is um, they paid us so little. Like I couldn't play Little League, little league because I could, either play, I could play one sport. It was $4. We didn't have it. So we were always kind of, my parents never made us know that. But I remember, I remember this so clearly. I can see it like it was yesterday. It was a Sunday morning and my mom was looking through the cupboard and all we had left was one box of mac and cheese. And it was the 28th of the month. We were going to get paid. My, my dad was going to get paid for four more days. And there, she was going to try to figure out how to feed her then three children with one back box of mac and cheese. I remember my mom being in tears. and I remember my mom saying, well, Lord, you're going to have to do something. So we went to church. We came home. And my mom opened the cupboard to get out the mac and cheese and the whole cupboard was filled with food from, from bottom to top. Wow. She opened up the fridge and the whole fridge was filled with food. The whole freezer had food in it and somebody knew that we had kids because they had a case of Otter Pops in there. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those great Otter Pops are pretty good. So the point I'm making is, but you know what happened? We never found out ever who did it. So what did we do? We glorify God. Here I am telling this, it's been 53 years since that happened. And I still remember it because somebody was stirred up by the Lord. They knew we'd be at church on a Sunday morning. Probably somebody from the church. I don't know. And they went to the store and brought all the food in and put it all in the house and went home and God got all the glory. That's the way we ought to give. Amen? 
given away that God is glorified. Now, if, if some man had do it, did it and I knew who it was, I probably wouldn't even be telling you about it, amen? But see, that's what God does. And sometimes God will stir us up. Go help that person. Go help that person. I've had it where God put it on my heart, a certain amount of money to go give to somebody. I don't even know why. I remember one guy was praying for him and praying for him and God put it on my heart to give him a certain amount of money. And I looked up on the 14 freeway on my drive to Lancaster and he was right next to me. And I told him to pull over and I wrote him a check and I handed it to him and I said, bro, I wanted to give this anonymously, but God has been, I can't even sleep. And I gave it to him and he just started weeping. He said, bro, we were gonna get kicked out of our house tomorrow and this is exactly how much money we need to pay for our rent so we can stay in our house. And I said, bro, make sure God gets the glory. I have nothing to do with that. But guys, we need to be sensitive to that, don't we? Because it's God's money, right? If God can get it through you, he'll get it to you, amen? And we wanna be faithful with what God has given us and make sure God gets, glorify God. He told me, I just obeyed him, amen? I know many people who give anonymously scholarships to camp, paying a single mom's rent. People don't know who gave it, and God gets all the glory. We're to give, we're to serve so secretly that even you yourself are hardly aware that you're doing anything worthy of praise. Notice it says your father sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. When we give with the right motive and the right heart for God's glory to anonymously promote the kingdom of God and minister to his people, God will reward such faithfulness. So that's how we should give. Giving in a way that pleases God, done in secret, motivated by a heart that seeks to minister to others and glorify God. Now, prayer that pleases God. Did you know there's prayer that doesn't please God? There's prayer that doesn't please God. He's going to start off, Jesus is talking to this crowd on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going to start off with prayer, examples of wrong ways to pray. He says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have your, their reward. May sound odd, but not all prayers that men pray are good prayers. Uh, as we learn in the next 11 verses, there are prayers that are proper and prayers that are improper. But notice he says here, don't, don't be like the hypocrite. Who's he talking about? The Pharisees. He's talking about the Pharisees. The people in the crowd know who goes and stands on the street corner. They know the ones that wear the black robes. They know who they are. And he's saying, look, they're hypocrites. Have you ever noticed that Jesus never calls like a prostitute? He never chastises them. He's never aggressive with someone who comes with a broken heart. But he calls the, the Pharisees brood of vipers, bunch of snakes. He calls them dead men's tombs, right? Whited sepulchers that outside they look all pretty. On the inside, they're filled with dead men's bones. He calls them vile. He calls them hypocrites. Because you know what God hates? Self-righteous religious people. Amen? He hates Why? Because they're acting like they don't need him. They're acting like the cross was in vain. Guys, if you could be good enough to get saved, then Jesus would have had to die on the cross. Amen? But notice what he says. But when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. If you haven't done this, I want to encourage you. I know for me, the most intimate prayer times I've ever had in my life are usually when I'm in a place of total desperation, 
And when I'm in a place of total desperation, I'm undistracted and I will go lay on my face in my, literally in my closet in my room or lay on the floor and lock the door or whatever and just be undistracted and focusing only on the Lord. And sometimes God will allow us to go through a, a great trial so it gets us on our face. Can I get an amen to that? See, humble, broken, and desperate is when we pray the most fervently. And sometimes when everything's good, we don't, we're not that desperate. But we have to go through, that's why no suffering is wasted. This is a wonderful example of a previous principle. Do you only pray when people are around? How much do you pray when people aren't watching? Now, I want to say this. Don't, don't lose sight of this. We are supposed to pray corporately. Amen? It's all, you know, make my father's house a house of prayer. So we need to pray corporately, and that's the right thing to do. But at the same time, some pr- people won't pray corporately. And look, we're going to start doing this from time to time, so get ready. On, on, on our midweek study, from time to time, we're going to take like 10 minutes, get in groups, and we're going to pray for each other. Amen? And when people don't want to pray, okay, I'm going to pray for you that God will help you so that you can pray. Can I get amen to that? Amen? But if you don't want to pray and you don't want to worship, you need to fall more in love with Jesus. Now, I know that some people, oh, I'm not very eloquent when I pray. God doesn't care about eloquence. If anything, he's not nauseated by it. Amen? I mean, if I went up to my dad, oh, magnificent father, you know, <laughs> and I started talking all these $57 words, is that what you want from your kids to come up? And then, and then we'll see vain repetition. No, you know what? He's dad. Hey, dad, I need your help. Amen? We don't pray, you know, with eloquence. We're not praying to draw people's attention. The Pharisees are hypocrites because they pray these prayers to draw the attention of men. It's not wrong, again, to pray in public. Jesus did it. God's word encourages it. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done from them for my Father in heaven. Jesus is not banning corporate prayer, but is focusing on motives behind our prayer. Are we pursuing intimate communion with our heavenly Father, or are we trying to draw attention to ourselves? We're trying to put the focus on ourselves or are we trying to get closer to the Lord? We should begin our prayer in private. Jesus prayed privately. Daniel prayed privately. Elisha prayed pri- privately. Many mighty men and women of God. The Bible commands us to pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God where you're gonna be alone sometimes. I love to begin my day with prayer, put God on speakerphone and just keep talking to him, amen? Just keep talking to the Lord. Stands the reason the vast majority of our prayer life will be done in private, intimate fellowship with God. And again, small group and corporate prayer is wonderful. We need to do it. But most who struggle to pray in a small group don't have an ongoing, intimate, one-on-one prayer life with the Lord. See, if we don't worship the Lord when we're alone, we're probably not going to worship Him corporately. And if we don't spend time in prayer with the Lord when we're alone, maybe you, you do and you get a little timid and that's okay and God will help you with that. I'm not condemning you. But Usually, if we have a really good prayer life when we're alone, we'll have a very fervent prayer life when we're with other people. Amen? It's a reflection of whether you spend time with the Lord. Set aside time each day to have focus one on one time with God. So examples of the wrong prayer and proper motives, praying to be seen, praying to be noticed, praying so other people will think you're really holy. Now, watch this next one and pay attention to this especially if you grew up in the Catholic church. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. 
Don't pray the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Now, it's not saying you don't keep praying about the same thing. You remember he talks about the woman who comes and keeps asking God and asking God, and it's okay to do that. But what happens when you pray with vain repetition, you disengage your head and your heart, and all that's speaking is your mouth. Amen? So praying with vain repetition. You know praise with vain repetition? Buddhist monks. Oh, right? All these people are Muslims. They pray the same prayer over and 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 it's a bunch of rituals. You're not connecting with God. Amen? We don't pray with vain repetition. Transcendental meditation. They just repeat the same word over and over and over. It's gibberish. Amen? So avoid gibberish and saying meaningless words over and over and over again, repeating the same word. The Buddhist penwill and the Buddhist is kind of, kind of the Buddhist Hindu rosary, vain repetition to gods that don't exist. The Catholic rosary began in the Middle Ages, and some believe by a Spanish priest who'd been influenced by Buddhist monks. The Bible says don't pray with vain repetition. You just read, Jesus said it. Don't pray with vain repetition. And then this is even crazier to me. So what did you do? Okay, you committed adultery. Say 50 Hail Marys and 10 Our Fathers. Go. What are you talking? Don't pray with vain repetition. Amen? It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that redeems us, not you saying a bunch of the same words over and over again, disengaging your heart and your head, and just saying it. That was stuff, nowhere in the Bible do you see that happening, amen? We're gonna get to the model prayer in a minute, and people do that with vain repetition when he says right before it, don't pray with vain repetition. Some believe that it was given to St. Dominic in a vision from the Virgin Mary. We know that's not true. Amen. Rosary and Hail Marys. Hail Mary is praying in vain repetition to a woman you're not supposed to pray to. So you're praying to a person who can't hear your prayers, who's not God, who did not die on the cross, and you're praying, praying with vain repetition. The Bible's right here. Look, if you grew up in that and you didn't know any different, well, now we know better. Amen. The word vain repetition in the NIV says, keep on babbling. Don't keep on babbling. The ancient word literally, batageo, means the sense of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Such prayers are all lips, no mind or heart. You're vainly repeating of empty words in an attempt to wear God down to get what you want. Or as a form of penance for sinful behavior. Guys, it's not the length of your prayer that matters. The prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18 prayed all day. Oh, we wound ourselves for thee, right? They just, they went all day praying, oh, crying out to their God. They might as well have been shouting down a well because they were crying out to nothing. Oh, Baal. And that's when we, you know, we saw Elijah mocking them. Oh, certainly he's a God. Maybe he's out hunting. Maybe he's in the bathroom, you know, right? And then what does he do? He prays to all the true and living God. The fire comes down and then God has him destroy all the false prophets. Guys, we only pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are few things sadder. In Acts 19, they cried out for two hours, great is the goddess Diana, for two hours straight. What did that do? Nothing. Amen? Vain repetition. 
contrary to the word of God. In India, I saw a poor man, told this before, on his knees, crying out to a statue of an elephant. And I did not have an interpreter, so I couldn't talk to him. And he was weeping and crying out to this elephant. People are devout in their ritualistic prayers. And they might even be sincere, but they're yelling down a well. Many words to non-existing gods. The true God isn't impressed by the length or eloquence of our prayer, but the heart from which it comes from. Amen? He just wants your heart. He just wants your heart. Remember, he's our heavenly father. As an earthly father or mother, what would impact your heart? One of your kids, totally unengaged, distracted, repeating the same words over and over again from across the room. Can I can 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 Shut it. Can I get amen? Or your child puts the phone down, turns off the TV, crawls up in your lap, looks you in the eye, and says, Dad, I really need your help. Which one of those? Are you going to respond to? Amen? Do we just say, Hail Mary, full of grace, help my friend? Our in heaven, how be the name of King Or we come before the Lord on our knees and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Dad, I need your help. Help me. I'm struggling. Help me. I've got a son or a daughter that's wayward. Help. I don't know how to do it. Lord, I'm struggling with this temptation. Lord, help me. My marriage is struggling. Lord, help me. See, that's the prayer that God responds to. Amen? Because it's coming from your heart. It's not coming from rituals. How much more does our heavenly father deserve our undivided attention? Our speaking to him from the heart. And then lastly, uh, the prayer that we see here. Notice it says, repetitions is a heathen do, so they, for they think they will be heard for their many words. They think if I pray enough words, God will just relent. Then he says, therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask. We don't inform God in our prayers. I hear people do it. I hear pastors do it. Well, Lord, you know, and you need to know that so-and-so is going through this, and Lord, because of that, here's what you need to do. God knew that was going to happen before the foundation of the world. He already knows that we don't need to tell God anything. Can I get an amen? We don't inform God. Our God is sovereign. He knows. So why do we pray? Here's what I get from people. Well, if God already knows and God knows what he's going to do, then why do we pray? Because God told us to. Amen? And prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes my heart. See, I'm not praying to get my will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. Amen? So what do we pray? We pray in Jesus' name because we're praying according to his will. Lord, here's the situation. I don't know what to do, but your will be done. And Lord, show me your will. Help me to see your will. Help me to know what you want me to do and help me to give me the strength to obey whatever you want me to do. Lord, show me. Align my will with yours, Lord. I know you already know what's best. You're a faithful God. I trust you. Just show me, Lord. I want to obey you. Help me. That's the prayer that we should pray. Not praying, informing God of what he needs to do. Well, your faith, you got faith. You can tell, uh, you know, you, you can command and you can well, do that. No. Prayer coming into presence of the creator of the universe. Prayer helps us to adopt a dependent trust in our heavenly father. And again, God is always more ready to hear than we are ready to pray. Can I get an amen to that? 
Well, God's not answering my prayers. Well, you're not, you're asking amiss, and so, or, or he said no. Amen? Now, I want to close with this. This is the model prayer, not the Lord's prayer. It says in Isaiah 56, you shall make my father's house a house of? Later, when Jesus cleansed the temple, he quoted this verse when he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I have such a burden for my own walk personally and for us as a body that we might go deeper in our intimacy with the Lord. Prayer is the oil that ignites the fire of intimacy and the word of God is the wood, amen? Prayer is the oil that we pour on the, word of the, word, the wood of the word of God that ignites the fire in our lives, that helps us to live lives that are sold out and set apart for the Lord. So the Lord's prayer, as I said, is found in John 17. You can look at that later. But the model prayer is not a liturgic, magical spell to be prayed with vain repetition. He just said, don't pray with vain repetition. When I played football in college, we'd always want to drop a knee and pray the Lord's prayer. And I went to my coach and I go, we're not supposed to do that. He said, well, then you pray. Done. And so we come down to the bottom of the hill and they'd all look at me and we would pray. We didn't pray that we'd win the game either. Help us to honor you out on that field. Can I get an amen to that? That's what's most important. So let's take a look at the model prayer. We're going to go, prayer is not to be empty words of penance like the rosary, but intimate communication with our heavenly father. It says, when you do pray, do not use vain reputation as the heathen do, and do not, again, think they will be heard for their many words. Let's begin what this model prayer does. Notice what it says. Our Father in heaven. The first important thing in prayer is the address. Many of prayers are addressed to people. Hail Mary. No, waste of time. Praying to dead saints. Waste of time. Crying out to an, uh, an elephant statue. Waste of time. It's not prayer. I caught static for this and some Christians even disagree with me. We were in Israel. And our tour guide said, do you want to go down to the wailing wall and put something into the wall, a prayer? And I'm like, no, we're not going to the wailing wall. Well, why not? I said, we can go look at it. They go to the wailing wall because they want to get as close to where the Holy of Holies used to be so they can get as close to the God of the old covenant as they possibly can. I can pray right here on the bus and God hears me. Amen. And some people say, well, I want to go down there and pray. You can go, go down there. God will hear you down there too, but you're just not any closer. Our tour guide used to say, you can pray anywhere, but from Israel, it's a local call. But the reality is, <laughs> so our Father in heaven, so the most important thing is who we're praying to. And many prayers have an impersonal address. Oh, living, great, eternal spirit that pervades the universe. Exactly. I was in Santa Cruz. I was asked to go to this corporate prayer thing, and I had no idea who was going to be there. And I invited our whole church. We had one of the larger churches in town, and we showed up in this football field, and they had people praying. And the person who prayed in front of me, that's what they prayed. Oh, oh, spirit of the universe, it's in the trees, and in all the... Cra I thought my head was going to explode. The next person got up, same nonsense. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then I went, oh, well, and I'm third. Okay, I get up and said, okay, Lord, ignore all that nonsense. <laughs> We're going to pray. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the true and living God. Amen? Amen? To you alone be the glory, the honor, and the praise. You're the creator. 
We don't worship the creation, we worship you. You're the creator. You're all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. Guys, when we pray and we address who we're praying to, that's how our prayer must begin. Amen? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not vague. I like to use Jesus in the prayer as much as I can because God can mean anybody. Amen? Notice, too, this entire prayer... 62 words. It's 62 words. So you don't have to pray some really long prayer. Now, again, you can be prayer for a long time, but it's okay. I told you one of my favorite, one of my favorite prayers that I pray every day, it's two words. What is it? Lord, help. help. Tim was at my house working. I was upstairs and said, Lord, help. My wife goes, he does that all the time. (laughs) And I do. I'll be looking at something, I know I've got an appointment, or I've got a counseling session, it's about, Lord, help! Brevity, nothing wrong with it. Not praying to impress others who might hear us, not praying to impact or preach a message. That's another thing, you'll have a guy praying and he's preaching his whole sermon. Well, Lord, you know as it says in your word, in chapter five, verse seven, and not, you know, right? Again. First of all, let's make sure the focus is on the Father, not on the one praying. Address the Father. Make sure we address Him. Address the Father. Veil's been torn. Prayer is entering into the Holy of Holies and communicating with the Creator of the universe. But notice the next thing after person we pray to is praise. Hallowed or holy be your name. Our prayer should not only be addressed to our Heavenly Father, but we should begin with praising his name. Is he worthy to be worshiped and to be praised? What's the answer? He is. And so begin your prayer with Heavenly Father. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. You're all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. You're a wonderful, gracious, and merciful God. You're our Abba Father. We thank you that you know everything and that you're faithful and we can trust you, that you'll never leave us nor forsake. Guys, when we talk about, we praise his name, we elevate his name, we magnify his name. But guys, it shouldn't be a chore to praise his name. It should be natural outflowing of what he's done for us. Amen? When you think about the cross, it should make you want to praise his name. It should make us want to worship. Hallowed be your name. Our prayers again should not only be addressed to the Father, but begin by praising his name, O holy, righteous, just, gracious, and merciful God. As we begin our prayers with a heart and attitude of praise, it brings our spirit to a place of awe and reverence and trust and dependence upon our heavenly Father. See, when we pray that way, when we praise his name, when we focus on who he is, it brings us to a place of reverence before him. It also gives us confidence that whatever we're about to pray about, he is almighty and all-powerful and able to do it. Amen? When I begin with praise, which is what God created me for, it puts me into a perspective of insignificance of my cares in comparison to the greatness of Almighty God. See, David fought Goliath because he wasn't worried about the size of the man, but the greatness of his God. Amen? See, 11 foot 750 is only big if you got a small God, but when you got a great God, 11 foot 750 is nothing. Amen? And see, so when we're praising him, we're being reminded of the greatness of our God. The next word is providence. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. God's sovereign will be done. Trust in God even when we don't understand. Your kingdom, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The word providence there, pro video, means to, be, to have seen beforehand. God is sovereign. His will is perfect. 
Prayer's purpose, again, is not to get my, our will done in heaven, but God's will done on earth. God's, it doesn't change our, God's mind, it changes our hearts. Prayer is not us coming to God like some holy Santa Claus in the sky and downloading a list of stuff we want. Amen? It's coming before him and asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants so that his name will be glorified, his kingdom will be added to, and his will be done. So prayer is not, Lord, give me, but it's, Lord, change me so that you can use me. Let me say that again. Prayer is not, Lord, give me, but, Lord, change me so you can use me to bring about your perfect will. When you know that God is sovereign and faithful, you can trust him. One of the examples I think of is when my, my first child, Ashley, when she was first born, she had some, uh, she had some issues initially with, with heavy pattern, pattern breathing where she would breathe a bunch of times and then she would stop breathing for like a minute and a half. And, you know, when you have a newborn baby and you're a first-time parent, that's petrifying. So we take her to the emergency room and one of the first things they do, they do some tests and they say they're going to have to give her a shot. So here I'm holding my little baby girl who looks at me and trusts me and then the guy sticks her and she's wanting to know, I, wait a minute, I've been trusting you. But see, her dad knew she needed that. And so I allowed that momentary pain because I knew long-term it was what was best for her. See, God is sovereign. He knows what's best for you. And sometimes he allows the temporary pain to bring out his perfect will in the long run. Can I get an amen to that? So no suffering is wasted in the trials that we go through. God knows what's best. Again, it's not Lord give me, but it's Lord change me. It's important for Christians to know the word of God for it's there we discover the will of God. We must never separate prayer from the word of God. I have people pray, so I'm praying about it. I say, you don't need to pray about that. Why not? Because the word of God says no. <laughs> Amen? Well, I'm praying about this gal I met. She doesn't really know the Lord, but you know, I'm just really attracted to her and I think God would be okay with it. No, no. It shows ignorance and arrogance to pray and ask God to do something he's already told you no. Amen? Then he says, provision. Give us this day our daily bread. So person we pray to, we praise providence. He's seen beforehand. He's sovereign. And we thank God for his provision. One of the names for God is Jehovah Jireh. He's Lord God, our provider. We should never take for granted God's awesome provision for us. As we thank God for our daily provision, it reminds us that everything we have is a gift from him. And we should hold lightly to our physical possessions because they belong to him. After providence and provision, it's perfection. Look what it says there. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sins. See, sin breaks communion with God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. Confession brings restoration. And true confession comes from a soft heart that is sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard about you've heard the term hardening your heart? You've hardened your heart. When you harden your heart, then the conviction of the Holy Spirit doesn't get through. Amen? And you've heard me use the term that I want to walk so close to God I can hear him whisper. Sometimes we get so far away from God we can't hear him when he's yelling at us. So we want to pray for perfection, to forgive us, Lord, and help us to forgive others. Then protection. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from 
the evil one. A prayer we need to pray every day is a prayer for protection from the temptation that's going to come our way. With temptation, God will make a way of escape. One of the things I would pray with my boys when they were struggling was always, and I would pray for them, Lord, help them today. And you know what? I need to pray that for me. Help me today. How many got tempted today? So every day when you're being tempted, you know, we need to begin our day with, Lord, I know I'm going to be tempted today. And I know you're going to make a way of escape. Lord, protect me from the fiery darts of the enemy. Put on the whole armor of God. Amen. And let me be prepared. So when the enemy comes against me, but Lord, I need your help. So we pray for his protection. Then petition. Notice what it says here. So we also need to pray for others. Deliver us from the evil one. But we prayed it for others too. You know, there comes a point in our prayer life that we make intercession for somebody else. Hey, if you're not on flock note, you should be. Because on flock note, we send out prayer requests. And we send them out. It's an opportunity to pray for that person right away. It comes across, oh, so-and-so is sick. Let's stop and pray. Amen? And so it just... When we recognize it, it's petition, it's interceding on behalf of somebody else. And finally, we pray with persistence. Notice he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In the end of his prayer, he remembers the greatness of the God that he serves. We are called to intercede on behalf of others. We're to forgive others as Christ to forgive us. And again, we are to end our prayers with praise and pray with persistence. The Bible says to pray without ceasing for this is the will of God. It says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. That's where we make petitions. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will he forgive you. So in closing, a heart that pleases pleases our heavenly father. First love that pleases our heavenly father, a selfless love that blesses, serves and prays for our friends and enemies alike. One of my biggest One of the things that has impacted me the most about my son going to heaven is my burden to see everyone else go too. And it's given me a greater compassion and love, especially for people that are struggling. Amen? I've shared we're going to start uh, an addiction ministry, drug and alcohol, if you've got any of those struggles. Why? Because we want to be able to love on each other. And by the way, we can all stop pretending like we're perfect. Can I get an amen to that? We're all sinners in need of a savior. We all need to be redeemed. We all need to be forgiven. We all have different struggles we go through and we just need to be transparent with each other. Amen? And don't be judging anybody else because when you point one finger this way, you got four pointing back at you. Amen? I want holiness for me, grace for everyone else. Giving that pleases God. Do it in secret, motivated by a heart that seeks to minister to others and glorify God. Prayer that pleases God. Examples of wrong, improper motive. If you pray to be seen by others or if you pray to get God to do what you want, that's improper motives. Praying with vain repetition. If you pray repetitive prayer because that's what you were taught to do, it's a waste of time and it's contrary to what God commands. And trying to change God's mind. God's perfect. He's holy. And even when we don't get it, and even when we don't understand, we praise him anyway. Amen? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's our prayer verse this week out of Job. And then finally, the model prayer. The person we pray to, Almighty God. We begin our prayer not only addressing him, but then praising him. And then we pray for his sovereign will, his will to be done. And then we thank him for his provision. We ask him to help us to walk in holiness. We cry out and ask for forgiveness, for perfection. We ask for him to protect us when the enemy comes against us. And then we make petitions for others and we pray with persistence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you. We praise you. We love you. 
You are a great and an awesome God. You alone are worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, to be honored. And we thank you, Lord, that the veil has been torn, that we can enter into your presence. Because of the shed blood of your son, we can enter that holy place and we can commune with you. We thank you, Lord, that your son is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. Lord, make, us, uh, make this a house of prayer. May we praise your name. May we pray for one another. May we encourage one another. May we minister to one another. And Lord, we pray for us as a fellowship that we will love in a way that you love. That we wouldn't just love our friends, but we would love our enemies. We would represent you well to a lost and a dying world. We pray that we would give faithfully of our times, our talents, and our resources. Lord, not that they're ours, but they're yours. That we would use them for your kingdom and your glory. That we would invest in something that will outlast this life. And then Lord, give us a heart to pray with fervency not to get caught up in the way that the world prays, not to command of you or to call you or inform you or instruct you, but to come humbly and broken before you, to cry out to you, to change, not to change your heart, but to change our, not change your mind, but to change our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said,